This is The Power Profile, stories of world-class leadership, hosted by award-winning broadcast journalist and media entrepreneur, Christina Mendonza. Get ready to connect with those defining success. This is The Power Profile, where we look at power in all forms of our professional and personal lives and talk to people who've leveraged power in their own lives. Today, the powerful presence of Lindsay Dowd, founder of Heartbeat for Hire. Lindsay spent 23 years with IBM and found that she really excelled at building, motivating, and creating culture around teams. And she's used all of that to bring heart and fun and radical candor to accompany leaders through Heartbeat for Hire, which she launched this year. Now, the half hour we spent together just flew, and I felt like I was talking to a good friend. So I think you're really going to enjoy the energy we create together in this episode as we discuss all things leadership and company culture the lost loyalty between employees and leaders, and why, as we all get back to work in the office or hybrid or however we're doing it, it's important to foster happiness. Not in a toxic positivity way, but in a way that makes the 75% of your life that you spend at work feel a little bit more joyful. Now, one of the highlights of this episode is our discussion of managing up. This is something I think most of us learn as we go, but it's worth a revisit and something that I've tried to actively do in my own career. I spent 22 years as the main anchor for a television station, and during that time, I had 10 news directors and 13 general managers, each with their own leadership style and priorities. And as part of my work mentoring young broadcast talent, I had a conversation recently with a reporter who felt like he was getting backburnered by a new news director. He said he rarely got the lead story. She seemed to lean on other, older, more veteran reporters, and his story pitches were just often pushed aside. I told him to have a conversation with her, walk into her office, ask her if she had a few minutes to chat, and then start asking her questions about her news philosophy. What kinds of stories does she value? What is her style of management? And what kind of role did she see him playing on the late news? Get to know her a little bit. At our next session, a few weeks later, he said it worked. He was getting the lead story several nights a week. Since she valued enterprise stories, he knew to bring more of those creative ideas to the afternoon editorial. And sometimes they would even text back and forth before his shift if he wanted to pitch something she thought, you know, he thought that she would really like. She saw his enthusiasm and creativity, and she responded in kind. Once the leader of your company sees your buy-in, that you're not just there for the paycheck, but you're there to improve the product and engage, they will move mountains for you. The importance of managing up. Think about it if you're stuck and before you consider making a jump to a new job. Okay, sit back for some insight on leadership and company culture from Lindsay Dowd of Heartbeat for Hire. Lindsay Dowd joins me now. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your time, first of all. Oh, it's my pleasure. Happy to be here, Christina. Excellent. So I want to talk to you about this, a new study I saw. It came from an article about happiness at work and the importance of being happy at work and how it leads to productivity and why all of these, uh, you know, uh, leaders are now trying to make sure their employees are happy. Tell me about that connection as you understand it. Yeah. And I think it's even more than happy, but happy is an easy title for us to to hit first. I mean, really what I saw during the great resignation was this 
unbelievable exit of jobs, not for big amounts of money. People wanted to feel valued. They wanted to feel seen and heard, and they wanted to know that they had purpose. And I really feel like right now we're in this massive paradigm shift where companies are being forced to stop, take a breath and saying, what are we doing for our people? How are we creating loyalty? Where are we creating trust or are we creating trust? And if we're not, how do we fix it? And that's what I love to help do. Um, but you're, you're spot on to pick this as a topic because this everyone's writing about it right now. All of the big players, McKinsey, Fast Company, Forbes, Harvard Business Review, they're all writing about why people have been leaving their jobs. And it's it's so interesting. I knew so many people that left their jobs with nothing to go to. They were just tired. They didn't want to be treated that way anymore. Um, so it's this great opportunity for companies to stop and say, okay, what are we doing? And I don't mean let's put in a ping pong table and let's give them free beer on Fridays. That's not culture. <laughs> that's, that, that's fun and that's a benefit, but that doesn't fundamentally change the fabric of who we are and the pride somebody feels about working for a company. How cynical are employees when their employers try to do some of these things? Are they, Do you find that employees are suspicious or are they appreciative or is it a combination yeah. of both? So I think it, it comes down to the style and the way that you do it. And one practice that I love to put in place for leaders, and this is something that I did when I was um, leading pretty big sales organizations, is you ask a couple of questions. And one of the questions I love to ask is, how can I be the best manager for you? That's a pretty disarming question to the person hearing it for the first time. First, they're going to say, well, uh, uh, let me think about it and I'll get back to you because they probably haven't thought about it before. But they're all going to have different answers based on their expertise, based on their tenure, based on their age. And those answers and that moment creates an opportunity for building trust. And trust is the vein that everybody needs to build across their organizations. And when you can lead from the top and say, okay, guys, we are going to be an open feedback company. We want people to give feedback and to receive feedback. But when you deliver that feedback, how you do it is really important. The words you choose, the style you, you, you deliver, those are all going to make a really big difference in how you're being perceived. So if you just all of a sudden have been an ogre and you've been micromanaging people for ages, turning around and being like, okay, guys, so we're going to change everything. No one's going to believe you. <laughs> so, so you've got to start intimately. You've got to start asking your people why they like their jobs or what did they like about past jobs or what did they want to do with their career. When you start to understand those things, you can be their advocate. And then when the top brass asks you what's going on in the field, you're going to know. You're going to know what kinds of aspirations they have. You're going to know all the superpowers that are on your team. If you have someone who's a great speaker, great opportunity to put them on an all-hands call if they just did something really good. If you have someone who's really great with analytics or reports, give them something to work on and let them shine. There's a lot of ways to recognize people that can be really sincere and can make people feel useful and valued and have purpose. Uh, but if you just kind of come out of the blue with it, it's probably not going to work. <laughs> right, right. One of the challenges it seems leaders are struggling with uh, these days is the 
the workers have gotten a taste of what it is to work from home and mm-hmm. a lot of them really like it and they yeah. don't want to go back to the office yet it seems to create a culture uh, and to create familiarity with everyone in the office you need at some point people to be together in a space so yeah. what do you advise leaders in terms of yeah, how so- when and where to bring people back well, you're, you're talking to a woman I, in my 25 year sales career, 23 of those years was working from home. So <laughs> very used <laughs> to it, but I traveled a lot. I was in front of clients. I was in offices and not regularly, like not every week, but I definitely was in front of people and you can't really replace that person to person connection, the eye contact, sensing the energy of the people in the room, watching the body language, like there's real value there. Um, but I think when you are offer the flexibility and you say to your teams, guys, you all have lives. You can get your work done. I have faith in you. You got here for a reason. I would love to see you in the office. And we will be planning some in-office meetings and days. It's so important that we have that connection. It's it's very different messaging than I need you in the office three days a week, come hell or high water. Yeah. That, that tone is a... Um, you know, it's, it's very, it's very parental. It's, it's very like, you have to do this versus, you know, we value seeing each other. And I I do think though, in the remote world, which is definitely here to stay, you still have to create opportunity for connection. And we learned a lot of that in the pandemic. I think we got pretty exhausted by it because we kind of overdid it. But, you know, there was no shortage of wine tastings or cooking experiences or, you know, and those were great, but, you know, they were after hours and it was just a lot. So there is a balance. And, you know, I did a really fun activity with one of my teams. And um, if you've ever heard of a Kahoot, um, you basically create a quiz for everybody to to take part in and it's multimedia. So there's video and there's music and um, there's a timer. And so it makes it kind of fun. And what I asked my team was everyone send me a fact that nobody else on the team knows about you. And I created this uh, multiple choice quiz. And the idea was that I made the answers pretty tough. So there was one person that said they had been to every major ballpark in the country except one. And so of the answers, there was three men and one woman and a woman and all the people chose all the men. And I said, no, it was Marsha. <laughs> and they were like, no way. Well, they, no one ever forgot that about Marsha. And they had a new point of contact and a new conversation starter. And those little morsels go a long way. So when you can create those opportunities for connection, you're going to have people that like to work with each other, which is so important. You know, you're with these people for 70% of your time during your, you know, your life why not be with people you actually like? Right, you know? right. That, boy, that's so true. And I love that idea. What a great like icebreaker. Uh, or it, even, it was fun. Yeah. Really fun. So uh, I want to talk to you about how the relationship between leaders and and employees have has gone you know it it used it seems like it used to be you went to a company you worked there for a long time um you got a pension uh, the benefits were usually pretty good Uh, there were a lot of reasons to stay and a lot of reasons to feel loyalty toward a company and mm-hmm. we're seeing more people change jobs a lot more now, and they feel like their employers aren't 
providing that value that that their parents got. So they're willing to jump ship and go somewhere else if someone's going to pay them more. Whereas employers are like, you know, we are, we're working as hard as we can to give you the best salary we can and the best Mm -hmm. opportunities we can. And you have no loyalty toward us. I mean, Mm -hmm. how do you, how do you see that relationship? So there's, there's two pieces to that, right? There's benefits and then there's culture. And, you know, I came, I was 23 years at IBM. So talk about loyal. My gosh, I was there for so long and I came from a huge IBM legacy. We had 105 years in my family. So I certainly understood what it was to stay with the company and they had wonderful benefits. Um, They also had really good culture, but there were things that I would certainly change. Um, And culture is different. Culture is when I wake up and I go to work, I'm excited to be with the people there because they believe in me. They see the talent that I have. They're giving me space to shine. They're giving me that psychological safety to take risks and try new things. And that's what people are hungry for. So if you are going through the motions and doing your job, look, everybody moves into a new job with bright eyes and they're excited and they're they're feeling like it's a wonderful opportunity. And you kind of watch as they go through this onboarding process of the excitement and the delight. And sometimes if the culture is not there, which you can't always ascertain from the interviewing process, you start to see that light dim. You start to see some of the social media posts wane. You start to see less interaction, less enthusiasm, less engagement. And when those things are happening, it's a perfect opportunity to check in and to ask, hey, what's going on? I want it, you've been here 60 days. How are things going? Is, is it what you thought it was gonna be? And really listen, as a leader, it's your responsibility to understand what motivates your people, what makes them happy, and you need to be able to advocate for them and convey that back to the powers that be. You know, my guess is if people are feeling lackluster about their experience, they're much more likely to look elsewhere. And right now, benefits are so competitive, that's kind of pretty good across the board. I mean, yes, there's exceptions, but it's the culture that people are hungry for. And that's harder to define for folks. Part of that- yeah, go ahead. Part of that culture, and, and you have talked about this recently in one of your uh, online postings, mm-hmm. part of that culture is creating psychological safety. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that if it's the same concept that Simon Sinek talks about or if it, if that's where it came from or, or, or not, but explain what it is and why yeah. it's so important. Yeah, I do believe it is very much in line with what Simon talks about. But psychological safety, it's funny. I, I was um, doing a podcast with someone recently and she's like, I don't like the word safe. It makes me feel like everyone can be mediocre and mail it in. And I said, it's actually the complete opposite of that. What psychological safety is, is creating an environment for your people to do their best work and creating space for them to try new things, take risks, and really be their best at their job. So if you say to your team, and I did this with my team, hey guys, we have a leader who wants to know what we think is the best thing that would ultimately move the needle here. What's gonna get us better results? Well, because I've created a space where people aren't gonna get yelled at, they're not going to be belittled or intimidated, I get a lot of hand raises and they said, you know, I just tried this and I've started using video to respond to my clients. You have, can you explain that? Show us how it works. Okay, guess what? Everyone in the team, I want you to try it once this week and let let me know how it went. 
when you do these kinds of things, people stretch, they grow. And if it works, and if it works for a bunch of people, you can create a best practice. So by creating that psychological safety, you have faith in your people that they're there for the right reasons. They're there to do their best work. They want to make money. They want to do the best job. And you're their advocate. You're their ally. You're going to support them. So that's really what it is. It's, it's you know, gone are the times where intimidation and aggression and if you don't get this done, you know, I'm going to be so mad at you or throwing things across the room. <laughs> like those tactics, they're really not going to be tolerated anymore. And there's a lot of leaders that got into those positions totally for the wrong reasons. And they're finding themselves losing people by big numbers. Um, and those people are harder to help. <laughs> but, you know, my, my feeling about when you get into management, if you delight in the success of other people, then you're going to be a good manager. I, I watch a lot of really great sales reps get promoted to be a manager because that's the only career path someone can think of for them. It's such a mistake. They're a really good sales rep, probably because they're in it for themselves and they like to see the delight on their client's face. Now that's not a bad thing, but how we magnify that as a company, that's where you can get creative. Um, and I just don't see enough of that. I see much more of the promoting the wrong people. Right. Which yeah. creates that toxic environment. They've never heard of psychological safety. They don't care about psychological <laughs> safety. You know, that's, that's much more the tone. You know, that brings me uh, to, uh, I mean, I've seen in my own career, people that I got along with and had great working relationships with. And when they are promoted, it's like that is all forgotten and they turn yes. into a different person. Yeah, well, they mistake that leadership for power. And all of a sudden they think, I can make people do things. That's <laughs> not the point. <laughs> it's to move things out of their way so they can do things. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So you've worked with so many different leaders and I know, uh, you know, good ones, uh, you know, not so good ones, yes. but, but you've worked with a lot of different types. What yeah. would you say is a key characteristic that just makes a great leader. Like when you walk into work with someone and they have this mm -hmm. particular characteristic, you're like, oh, this is going to be a piece of cake. We're going to do great. Yeah. I, I had one leader once. Um, she asked me a question and it, it kind of floored me and I used it ever since. Um, but she, we were meeting for the first time. We had been by that back in the day, there was no zoom. So it was just phone and conference calls. And um, so we we're meeting for the first time and she says, Oh, sit down, sit down. I want to talk to you. I said, sure. She goes, what's your story? I said, what do you mean? What's my story? And I'm like, how I got here, how I got this job, like where I'm from, what do you want? And she goes, no, I want to know Lindsay's story, Lindsay's life story. I go, oh my gosh, you got a minute? <laughs> Take a moment. And I said, okay, here goes. So I gave her the condensed version and I said, was that what you were looking for? And she said, yeah, because I want to understand what motivates you. I want to know what makes you tick and why you make the choices you do. And I said, wow, that, that was really profound. And it made me trust her more because she understood who I was. Well, I, I used that same practice on a rep of mine once and we were out for lunch. He was a new rep and he brought his business plan and he was so prepared. And I said, put it away. I said, I just want to know what's your story. And he had the same reaction I did. And he, he jumped in, told me his story. And he goes, 
oh my gosh, we just got to know each other really fast. <laughs> and I said, well, it's, it's really going to help me advocate for you. And he, he, every time we spoke after that, I would say, you know, am I doing the right things for you? Is there anything I can get out of your way? You know, what obstacles are you facing? He goes, Lindsay, I feel heard. I feel seen. And for that, I'm so grateful you're my boss. And those are the best words a manager can ever hear. Yeah. right? It means you're, you're invested in your people. But one of the best things a manager ever said to me was, um, girl, I've got your back now fly. And what that was, was such a statement of trust. And that was, you got here. I don't need to tell you what to do every day. I trust you go crush it. And when you know, you have that kind of support and that kind of, um, really admiration, you feel unstoppable. You're excited. You can't wait to impress them, you know, the next time. And I just think that's such a smart thing to do as a leader. Uh, I love that story. And it is, I mean, so much of it comes down to trust. I, I do a lot of mentoring of young broadcast talent. Mm. And I was talking to this uh, young man and he said, you know, my news director, I just, um, I, I never get the lead story and they don't seem to like my story ideas. I don't get a lot of communication from this news director and I feel like they don't like me. And I said, well, why don't you go in and try to understand a little bit about the news director's philosophy, ask them questions about what kinds of stories they'd like to see. Uh, do they value enterprise reporting? Do they like investigative reporting? I said, go ask them you know, about their philosophy yeah. and what and how they see the newsroom and then how yeah. you can fit in and be a part of that process. And he had that conversation with his news director and we talked later and he said, oh my gosh, I'm getting all these lead stories. My news director and I, we text daily before my shift oh, when I pitch great. ideas. And it, I mean, it really kind of turned it around. So I think managing up in that way yeah. and going to your boss, understanding your boss a little bit better can help well, an employee as well. That's such a good point. And, and I try and tell people this when they're interviewing for jobs. Um, you know, you want to ask, what's your style? What happens when something go, goes wrong? How do you handle it as a manager? And their answer will be very telling. And I had a very unfortunate situation where the person that I interviewed with became an entirely different person once I was working for her. Um, so it's really good if you can kind of get under it and, and really kind of look past the facade to to say what's your style you know how do you like to lead what inspires you <laughs> these questions people don't think to ask but when they ask they're like oh god <laughs> that's yeah. not what i thought she was going to say <laughs> or you know and it might shine some light where you need to see it right Absolutely. And then you can figure out, do I stay or do I need to be looking mm -hmm. elsewhere? <laughs> That's right. That's what, right. Do you, what do you see with all of the inflationary pressure on wages and, and you know, people needing more for, for the same job? Where do you see the job hunt going and the competition for <laughs> employees? Well, it's it's really interesting. I'm watching um, there. There's a lot of companies right now where they're doing these market leveling. So, you know, somebody will come in, interview for a job, get the job. And then what I love seeing is when a company says, hey, we just brought this person in. They are at a much higher rate than than where you are. We're going to level the whole team the same. And that's a gift for anybody that wasn't there. You're like, wow, they're doing right by me. This makes me feel so good. Right. Um, it's, but then I've heard the flip side of where 
you know, someone gets brought in and they're making more money than their manager and how the company handles that is really important. And I've seen a lot of mishandling of that. And that's how you lose really good people. Um, To me, I think during the pandemic, there was this exodus that we saw of some really kind of early career staged folks who were getting paid astronomical numbers for jobs they weren't really qualified for. Mm -hmm. And what worries me about that is they're going to get exposed really quick um, of not having all of the expertise they need to be successful. And that's a mistake on the part of the employer just as much as it is for the person going for the job. Now, I'm a big believer of if you have 70% of the prerequisites that you're going for, go for the job. There's lots to learn. There's, and if you have all of the prerequisites, you're overqualified. <laughs> but if, if you have you know, the bulk of it there, you should go for it. Now, some of these people were getting jobs and they were doing a great job interviewing and they were coming in on referrals and there's a, a hunger with these people. They're not afraid to make contact. They're not afraid to get referrals. It's great, but can they do the job? Yeah. And, and then what happens when they go to their next company? <laughs> Either the company's going to be like, you were getting paid what for what? And why did you leave? Um, so I don't know. It's it's a little all over the place right now. But I do love when the companies do right by their people and they they fix it financially. Um, I had one wonderful story. Um, there was a woman working for me, and she had had probably five managers before me, and she um, she was she she wasn't making what she should have been making and i was taught by a leader uh once she was very dear dear manager to me and became a very close friend she said lens anytime you have that window of opportunity to get your people more money get as many people as much money as you possibly can because you never know when that window is going to close again so i made a case for this woman that she needed to be brought up to market level and um, i was able to give her like a 33 percent raise and it was really significant and so i got to call her and i got to tell her i said i'm so happy i get to deliver this message and so i'm i'm telling her and she takes off her glasses and she starts to cry and i said why are you crying and she said because I was really struggling to make ends meet. And not only are you giving me that opportunity, but you're helping me put my son through college. You've changed my life. Well, <sighs> you know, you hear that and you just get goosebumps and I wanted to cry. Like it's just, I just got goosebumps you know, hearing the story. <laughs> and, and, you know, that person, she happened to know my dad and she called him and said she changed my life. Uh-huh. And, you know. That those are the things as a manager you really live for. It feels really great. Obviously, the success and the money is, of course, first. But when you can do right by someone and and make their life better, first of all, they're loyal to you forever. Mm-hmm. But second, it's to see what she was able to do and her confidence blossomed. She just you know got on every call wanting to participate afterwards. She wanted to do her best work for me because, you know, I did right by her. That's a beautiful story. I love that story. And it leads me perfectly into um, just, I'm fascinated by what you do and why you do it. Why did you decide to expand uh, beyond your company, uh, leave your old job, start this new thing and work with leaders? Yeah. Um, 
So, uh, so many of the the stories that you're hearing are, are are the reason and the motivation for why I'm doing this. But so I I founded Heartbeat for Hire in February of this year, and what I recognized was um, sales culture. It's funny the way that people look at sales. Um, they think sellers are resilient, they're aggressive, they're tough, they're used to rejection, they have their own HR people, they're different than the rest of the company because they're on a different comp plan. And what's happened is a lot of that nurturing spirit and the the empathy and the compassionate leadership is happening elsewhere and it's not happening in sales and when you create that culture and that psychological safety you watch your team blossom and the results always follow and i recognize that i had built this before i knew how to do it and i watched my teams crush it and beat all of our competition and all of my peers and it was a joy and I had also been on the receiving end of horribly toxic culture. And like we're talking anxiety ridden, ulcer producing, like really <laughs> messed up culture <laughs> that hurts. Yeah. And you, you know, the way that you frame things as a leader is so important. When a leader tells you, you know, you're not doing a good job on these calls. I don't like the way you're presenting yourself. So uh, you, you better do better next time. Well, how do you think I'm going to do? Yeah, I'm going to suck. And, and that's exactly what happened because I couldn't rely on my instincts. I couldn't rely on my humor. I couldn't rely on my natural storytelling because all I was thinking about was how I was going to fail. Now, if a leader said to me, hey, how do you think that last call went? Oh, well, uh, you know, you know, if it didn't go well, you're you, hopefully you have the, the space where you can give honest feedback. Okay, well, it wasn't great. So what can we do next time? How can we fix it? These are the questions that the leaders need to be asking. These, this is the space and the style that leaders need to embrace now. And, you know, I look at kind of the best of the best, the Richard Bransons and all of the people that are having these incredibly successful companies. And of course they've evolved as leaders. The, the practices that we had in the 90s, in the 2000s, aren't the same as they are today. So any leader that thinks they know everything or they aren't in this space to grow or to learn or to take courses, they might be ready to be put out to pasture. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, we all have to evolve and grow and, and learn. And right now is this wonderful moment to embrace all of these changes and do right by your people. Because when you do, they do right by you and you crush it. So that was a very long answer. <laughs> no, I loved all of it because it's so true. You're right. We are in an inflection point in so yeah. many areas of society, including the way we work. And I think it's important that, you know, we understand that a lot of these le people leading companies, inspirational leaders, like you would think of maybe the Elon Musks or, you know, mm -hmm. the, like you said, the Richard Bransons, that they had to evolve. So mm -hmm. we can too, to become yeah. the leaders that we want, well, the, and that we'd like to work for. <laughs> technology has evolved. The way we work has evolved. You know, gone are the days where everyone is living out of a suitcase every day of the week, right? I mean, mm -hmm. when you were a traveling salesman, you know, that's how you lived. You don't need to do that anymore. And the way that you connect with your clients is different now. So there's just smarter ways to do things. And this is what I fundamentally want to change. And this is what I'm super passionate about. And I just, when we get it right, 
it's just magic. I have a girlfriend that works for Zoom and she, I, I asked her when she went over there, I said, Michelle, how's the culture? And she said, oh my gosh, it's unbelievable. She said, I only have a little bit of time because I have to go to my CEO's meeting. He has a fun squad and I'm on the fun squad. I said, you're on the what? She's on the fun squad. He likes to infuse fun everywhere he can. And whether that's like a monthly challenge or a virtual background that we'll all adopt or something we're going to do on an all hands call, it's important for him to feel connected to his people, make them enjoy their jobs. Now, this CEO also tells everyone he loves them on every all hands call. I'm not saying every leader needs to do that, but Mm -hmm. it's um, certainly a, a disarming practice. And something that I know those people really appreciate. They have tremendously cool culture and um, they like to shout about it. And the best press you can have as an employer is when your people are shouting from the rooftops that they love where they work. Yes. Oh, so true. Something I ask every one of my guests, I'll ask you now, do you have, like when you're feeling a little depleted after, you know, you've been doing a ton of of work, Mm -hmm. how do you recharge? Do you have a habit, a hobby, something that helps you kind of replenish your creativity and feel at peace? Oh, yeah. Uh, Yesterday was actually a a down day for me. There was nothing that really was bad or um, anything that really went wrong. It was just one of those days where I just was feeling imposter syndrome and just was down. And um, I had a, a, a colleague of mine who said to me, he goes, all right, all right, you're entitled to feel this way, but you're gonna make three sales calls today and you're gonna text me at the end of the day and tell me how you did. And so I texted him back and I, and I wrote, you know, four things. And he goes, uh, that was a great day. (laughs) Oh, thank you. That didn't really answer you. What do I do to calm down? I actually, um, live in a really beautiful part of the country and we've got lots of woods and lots of wildlife around us. And so I really do love to go for a walk or take my dog for a walk. And right now it's just a beautiful time of year. So that's lovely. But for me, I love social interaction and sometimes just getting that feedback from people of like, girl, you're not crazy. You're really good at what you do. Get your head screwed on straight. Come on. We're good. That's that's um, generally all I need. I love that because it's, it's different than, I mean, I ask everyone that question and, you know, you can, depending on whether they tend to be extroverted or introverted or fitness minded, I mean, you get all these different answers. I had someone who told me like when they feel like they need to just replenish, they just like, they don't talk to anyone. They stay at home and they eat cereal. I don't know if that would do it for me. But. Oh, right. And, and someone else I talked to said they go to a hotel room and they just check in and they just stay oh. there for the weekend just by themselves. So, I mean, it's it's interesting okay. how we all find peace. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. But, and replenish our own creativity. Well, Lindsay, tell I, me. I also, go ahead. I also really believe, and I learned this through the pandemic, I got really selective about the people that I, that I spend my time with. I think pre-pandy, we were um, doing an obligatory life. And, you know, going to showers and going to luncheons and PTA meetings and whatever it was, there was a lot that you had to do. And when you kind of took a step back, you realized you didn't have to do all of those things. So I became very intentional about the people that I spend my time with. And the people that I spend my time with really recharge my battery. And I know if I gave them a call and said, all right, I just need a chat. I know I'm going to feel better after that time. And that, I think, is just something 
I, I treasure. I, I just really, really do. Well, I have uh, love this conversation. I, I, please tell me how people, how um, our listeners can connect with you. Yeah, my, my website is heartbeatforhire.com. Um, I am on LinkedIn at Lindsay Dowd H4H. I'm on Facebook and Insta, the same Lindsay Dowd H4H. Um, so I'm easy to find as long as you can spell my name, but Heartbeat, Heartbeat for Hire is really easy to find. Um, so it's it's been such a pleasure talking to you, Christina. It's been great talking to you. Thank you so much. And, uh, and we appreciate all of the expertise and uh, all of the knowledge. Thanks for giving us so much. Oh, it's my pleasure, truly. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Lindsay Dowd of Heartbeat for Hire. She's launching a new podcast and you can find out more about her work at heartbeatforhire.com. A couple of things from my world at Mendonca Media. I've launched a new initiative based on this podcast. It's called The Power Profile. It's a mini documentary for C-suite executives and thought leaders to increase reputation and reach. My team and I come in, we do an extensive interview with you. We collect great B-roll photos. We pull together your story in a way that helps your customers, constituents, or investors see your place in their world. You can reach out at MendonzaMedia.com to find out more. Also, while you're there, sign up for my newsletter. In addition to my broadcast experience, I have a master's degree in leadership and communications, so I love sharing new research, new information, and news about that world through my newsletter. And a bit of exciting information to share about my collaboration with McLeod Media as my good friend Will Frampton's company out of Boston. The documentary we co-produced, COVID Lost and Learned, is nominated for an Emmy. It's an hour of global insight, stories with heart, and a very different view of the pandemic. You can see the whole thing at its own website, covidll.com. I just love creating for you. Please reach out with any thoughts through mendonsamedia.com. I'd love to hear your feedback. Please subscribe to The Power Profile. And thank you for spending some time with me. Be on the lookout for more stories of power right here on the podcast version of The Power Profile. This has been The Power Profile with Christina Mendonca. Stay connected through mendonsamedia.com.